So, first of all, I want to just invite us to do an experiment for about a minute or two. Let me get my watch out here. And here's the thing I want to ask you to do. I want you to take a minute. You could use eyes open or closed. This is going to be a little meditation. And what I want to invite you to do in this experiment is not take any object of meditation. So if you normally work, bring your attention, say, to the breath, or if you work with sounds or maybe other body, you know, places in the body or something, just let go of any one object and just try to sit in a way that's just to be mindful and open and present without an object. Just let, don't let the mind settle on any object, but just to be aware. Okay? And see what that is like without an object. So go ahead and I'll ring the bell and we'll go no more than two minutes, one or two minutes. Anybody willing to share how that was? Blank. Blank? Okay. I missed the structure. Yeah. So you actually noticed something that you hadn't yeah. because you were focusing on the object before, right? The breath. The breath. Okay. My feet. And then my feet, I thought about the carpet. Okay. Okay. So you're aware of more. Okay. Yeah. I missed the structure too, and but I was aware of more. Right. You're actually looking for going from you're going from object to object to object. So you were scanning. Yeah. Yeah. So this experiment, and of course, will be different for all of us. And um, but what I wanted to one thing to notice is is that a couple of things came up here. One is is that when we're not focused on a particular object sometimes we're aware of more, like you were bringing out. You know, if we get really focused in, say, on the breath, we can get zoomed in there, and we tend to miss other things. It's not that we have to include all those, but it does open us up to an, a wider range of experiences. What can happen, though, without an object, I think you said blank, 
Um, when you have an object, are you not blank? Like if you're working with the breath or whatever, whatever you do, for, then you're not blank? Eventually, you're blank. Eventually, you're blank? Yes. Okay. Yes. Eventually, I, I don't even think of the breath. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I don't want to take up too much time here when you say blank. Because when I hear blank, I just mean kind of nothing. So anyway, well, so we anyway, I didn't want to get off from that too much. But my, but the point I wanted to make is is that what many people find is is that, and of course in this group, we'll have a wide range of experiences here. There'll be people who are fairly new to practice, and there'll be people here who've practiced a long time and have maybe developed a certain amount of samadhi in their practice. For people who have not developed much samadhi, if you don't take an object, what, what it often finds is, is that you're just spacing out. You can't, you know, the mind's wandering and it's hard to stay present and connected and steady. And that we use an object like the breath to place the mindfulness on as a tool. Even though we may miss some other things, that's all right. That's what I wanted you to kind of get a sense of. So you can see how that was. Like you said, you missed. I don't know if it was because you didn't, we didn't go into it, if because maybe you were, were you spacing out, or were you kind of, how was it for you? You had that feeling was, of missing. I was still trying to find, I'm looking at the purple window. Yeah. I was trying to find, I still was trying to find some okay. external. Yeah. Okay. So one of the things we'll talk about, since this is breath meditation, we're actually going to be talking specifically about using the breath as a mindfulness anchor. Okay, that's what we're talking about. Last week we were talking about it as a concentration anchor. So, I think it's important to say that we're not trying to be mindful of everything that's happening. So in any moment, and you can just try this little experiment. You could put your awareness in your feet. If you didn't happen to notice the feet until I said that, you go there, there's all these sensations. You can feel whatever, the pressing onto the floor or whatever. You probably weren't feeling it before. You could let your awareness go to your butt on the chair or the cushion. If you didn't happen to be feeling that, oh, a lot of sensations there. Your hands. Lips touching. Maybe some aches in the shoulders, or maybe it's just some general sensation in the shoulders. Right? You can notice seeing, that seeing is happening, right? There's many things. There's feelings in the body, emotions, everything. We don't have to become aware of everything. That's not the point here. The idea is, in Vipassana, this deeply seeing into, is remember that that the liberation, the freedom that the Buddha is pointing to comes out of a non-clinging and a non-identification that we talk about a lot. And what we're trying to get to is that the habitual conditioning of the mind that has a, ten a tendency to identify that tends to get hooked on to things and, and habitually, reactively pushes away any unpleasant and tends to grasp and hold on to all the pleasant. And so that our well-being gets caught up with having to have a whole range of certain experiences and not having a whole range of other experiences. And we're trying to make a shift where we can start to have more of a well-being that's just, you know, it's the cliche in, in Buddhism and in meditation about inner peace. 
But it's a cliche because we say it a lot because it's true. It's starting to find that place where the well-being is less dependent on the external, on the experience, and it's more about what's the relationship we're having with whatever experience is going on. That's the shift it's trying to make. So in the service of that, we need to be able to see what's happening moment to moment more clearly. We don't have to be mindful of everything going on, but we do want to start bringing more mindfulness moment to moment into whatever's predominant going on, and especially areas that we normally aren't aware of that we tend to act out of. Right? So if we get caught in some circumstance, some situation in life that we tend to get reactive in, if it's not seen what's going on, we just tend to act out our habitual pattern. Once we wake up and start to see what's happening, we have some more freedom and choice. That's why we don't have to be mindful of everything. It's just bringing that general mindfulness, that tool that's available more and more to carry through all aspects of our life. It's pretty simple stuff, but it's not so easy to do. If we just say, don't cling, everybody's laughing. You can't do it. I mean, you can do it in a moment, of course, but you'll just get hooked right back in as soon as the right causes and conditions come together. So we need to be able to start to see, to be more aware. And then we have the possibility of letting go of, of, of more freedom moment to moment. But it's, if there is a possibility, you know, the Buddha said the potential for liberation is in any moment. If that's true, it's, it's dependent upon our ability to be awake so we can have some choice rather than just be on automatic pilot and living or acting out our conditioning, our habits of mind. So the breath's a very powerful tool. Um, and can be a mindfulness object. So here's, let's just play a little bit with some things we can do with the breath. Uh, I want to talk about it as a tool of, of mindfulness of the breath in, in and of itself and also how we can, it can carry through as actually to support mindfulness in daily life and in all our activities. There's both aspects. So first, just as a mindfulness object in its own right, um, how can we practice? Um, first of all, there's um, several places in the body we can work with the breath in meditation. So if we sit down, we close our eyes, we could put the awareness to the area around the nose. And you might want to experiment and see, you know, as you breathe in and out, how is that? The coolness of the air going in and out. For some people, they feel it more towards the tip of the nose. For some, it's further in. It might be in the sinus area, you know, further inside. So just take a few breaths. For others, they feel it more clearly. You could go down to the area of the abdomen, the belly, and with the rising and falling, maybe there's the actual physical movement happening right at the belly. So we can feel that. These are the basic instructions you've probably heard many times when we teach uh, intro meditation classes, right? Just put the awareness there. So just feel it's a different quality. Sometimes if it helps, you could put your hand on your belly if you wanted to and just to help you feel it. You don't have to. 
It's just a physical movement of, is it the muscles there just moving, rising, falling? Sometimes people feel it in the throat. I don't feel the breath very clearly in the throat myself, but for others it's very clear. Just take a moment to experiment. And if you can feel it, just see what the quality is. Some people, it's in the chest area. Try that out. And one last piece to try, the whole breath, whatever that feels like, whether it's the actual air moving all the way down or it's just feeling of just a general sense in the whole body, however you experience whole breath. I say whole breath body is the way to say it. Okay. Last week when we were talking about concentration, I was suggesting that the nose is... Some great masters will put you down at the belly even for some concentration work, but... Um, I think many people find that the nose tends to be a place that's a lot sharper. So when we talk last week, and as we'll do next week, we'll focus more around there. From a pure mindfulness point of view, it, it doesn't matter. It find the place that's just the clearest and the easiest. That's not necessarily at the nose. Other people, you know, oh boy, the belly's, I can't feel at the nose that well, but oh yeah, the abdomen rising and falling, I can really feel it. So just find the place that works best for you. And if you don't know right now, because I know I'm not taking all that long with this little experiment, you know, later on you can take some more time and, and, and play with it. And you're not stuck either at one place, but you know, at some point settle in to one place. Now I also want to say something, this is very important, and this is, I actually forgot to say this last week, it's very important, because this is a three-week series on breath meditation, and so I have to say, the breath is not a good meditation object for everybody. It's generally it is considered a universal meditation object. This one, there's many other ways to do vipassana also. Breath is considered one of the most very powerful and universal, works for everyone. Turns out that's not actually true. For example, I know someone who at a very young age had a choking incident. When the awareness goes to the breath, it brings up a lot of difficulties, emotional, just all kinds of things come up around the choking. So for her, it wasn't a good object. So I just want to say that even though we're going to continue on with breath meditation here, if you're finding that the breath, for whatever reason, just doesn't work, but wow, it really opens up when I work with sound or I do touch points in the body or body scanning, then you, you'll, that's fine. Some of the things we talk about in here, I think, will map over to some of those other techniques. And you're welcome to come talk to either me or just you know any teachers, and and people could work with you on that. So I just want to say that if you find yourself struggling, like oh, it's supposed to work, and there's something wrong with me because it's not. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just not a good object for uh, maybe 20% of people for various reasons. Okay. So let's do a few, a few more experiments here. 
Maybe you found a place where the breath is the clearest and the easiest for you. And if you haven't, just pick one. And then just bring your awareness. You can close your eyes or leave it open if you want. First, just it's just going to be another short experiment. Let the awareness settle to the breath in your spot, wherever that is. Now, in addition to noticing the breath, notice Pay attention when there's an in-breath. You don't have to. You don't have to make words in the mind, but you could. But just notice it's an it's an in-breath. And when the out-breath comes, notice that. So we're starting to tune our awareness a little more. Not just the breath, but we're actually noticing. Oh, it's breathing in, and when it's out, it's going out. Notice if the breath is long or short. These are subjective, but just pay attention. Notice if it's deep or shallow. We're not trying to control the breath in any way in this practice. It's just to notice whatever is there. Notice if the breath is fast or slow. One more thing. Let go of noticing that. And then wherever you are experiencing your breath, start to notice the qualities of the sensations. So, for example, if you're at the nose, you might want to look a little closer now. Don't create a stress about it, but just in a relaxed way. Pay a little closer attention. What are the sensations? Notice the sensations of coolness, say, say, and exactly where do you feel it? And is it changing? Is it staying the same? And get really close. Or if if it's at the belly, you can actually really notice... um, Once again, notice the sensations of the rising and falling of the belly. Usually you'll see it's kind of a mass of a number of different sensations of a a pressure or a pulling.
see if you can see you know that a, a changing group of experiences in there just a little bit also notice um, on the in-breath is it steady or does it like start at one intensity and then maybe in the middle change and then towards the end change as far as how f deeply or fast you're breathing in and out just notice or is it just steady and the same or when it trails off at the end See, there's a lot of qualities you can notice if you want to. Also notice that you don't have to get into all these different little qualities of experience. You can just kind of back off and just have a general sense of knowing the, the, the breath, the coolness of the in and out or that feeling of the rising and falling. See, you know, there's, a lot, there's no right or wrong way. I just want to have you try all these different levels. This is all areas we can work on the mindfulness as we come to know the breath. It's that knowing quality. Sometimes on its own, we're more deeply in it and we're feeling all the different changing sensations. Or sometimes on its own, we're more backed off a little bit and it's just a higher level view and just a general sense of the breath. Now, one last thing. What about the space when there's the in-breath? Usually there's a little pause. And then there's the out-breath. And not true for everyone, but oftentimes there's a little more space between the out-breath before the next in-breath. What about that space? Where does the mind go there? Notice that there's a space. Did you notice it before? Often there's many things going on that we miss. And then when you're ready, you could just allow your awareness to come back into the room. Or, you know, continue with the breath if you'd like. Anybody want to either, uh, questions are fine, but also any, anybody want to share anything or any comments? How about those, the space between breaths? Is that, was, were you noticing that before? What do you do with the space? That's still, you've got a moment or two or however long there. And oftentimes we space out during that pause. But when we're really steady and clear, the mindfulness just stays steady moment by moment, no matter what's happening. You could notice the pause, and there might not be much sensation, and just notice that it's a pause. Or another way to work with that, what some people do is, There'll be the in, 
out and then they'll take the awareness away from the breath and go to a touch point. So if my other touch point might have been, say, for example, the feeling of my hands, either folded or on my knees or my legs, I might have in, out, touching, in, out, touching. If the samadhi's not so strong, that can help just give another anchor in that moment. When we talk next week about bringing in the concentration piece, we won't want to do that. We won't want to bring anything that takes us away from wherever we're working with the breath. We want to stay right there. But from the, you know, this is just another way you can experiment with working. And it will develop your concentration. Everything we're doing will develop your concentration over time. We're presenting all these different styles. Last week it was a diff- different approach. This week we're doing some different things. And all of these are just tools in the toolkit about what works to help us be clear, awake, more steady, more present. And then when we find that, we just continue on. It just naturally deepens and deepens just through, through doing. As I think many of you know, I know there's people here, I've seen faces here for people for a long time. Yes? Right. Well, that's actually an important question. Yeah. Um, Sometimes <laughs> they're completely different because samadhi is not spacing out. Samadhi is just um, is just that collectedness of mind. It's just staying steady. Now, what can happen that we, that we talked about last week was we can get so concentrated that the feelings... So this is a little recap from last time, but maybe it's just worth saying. What will happen as you continue in your meditation, I'm mostly speaking for people who are newer because those of you who have experience will know this for yourself. Once you start... you know, Once we get to the point where we actually start to deepen in the practice, we have some experience that what is it... How do we know that we're deeper in meditation rather than just in our normal daily level of consciousness. There's some feeling or experience we have. Maybe it's a calmness or a steadiness. It can be blissful. It can just, or you know, all these different things, experiences we have that can start coming. That's the, the samadhi we're experiencing. So what can happen is um, when we're working just on the concentration side, we can, there's a ways that we talked about last week where we can just work with the sensation still and deepening the samadhi or sometimes the mind will go on to those feelings, the samadhi experience itself, which is different than the actual sensations of coolness of breath or rising and falling. It'll be the concentrated, the, the experience of being concentrated. And if we start to focus onto that, we can get more and more and more kind of locked on to that. The mind becomes steadier and steadier. And if we were to do that enough, it's possible to get to a point where we would lose the changing flow of experience. We'd lose those sensations of the breath. The mindfulness would kind of, we'd lose it. We'd have very, very strong samadhi and the mindfulness would be gone because we'd be so, and you go into these states that are sometimes called absorption states, called jhana. Maybe you've heard these terms. And you can just get swept away and lost in these wonderful states. I mean, they feel great. And you're gone. It's not bad. It's pleasant. It's, it sometimes can be considered kind of a diluted kind of consciousness if it doesn't have mindfulness with it because you just go off of these states, but you don't. Um, the, the, the analogy, I, so I don't know if it's spacing out, but it can be a place where we, where we lose the, the mindfulness. 
that has an important place in Buddhist practice and, and there's a whole uh, cl uh, uh, class of practices that are designed to do that. But really what that's doing is it's just developing that samadhi. The analogy we use is like if you want to cut weeds and you have a sickle and you want to get a sharp edge. Developing that samadhi is like sharpening the tool of the mind. So it gets very sharp and very present and very clear. But if that's all we're doing and we don't use it to cut any weeds, it's not helping. It's the mindfulness part that cuts those weeds. So that's why next time we'll talk about bringing the two together. And I want to say that all three of these flavors of how we're talking about have a place. The place where we're just focusing on the samadhi and even if we lose the mindfulness, that's a, that's a big thing that's talked about a lot and it, and it has a place. Just focusing on the mindfulness and not particularly giving attention to the samadhi and letting it just deepen however it wants by doing mindfulness practice has an important place. And consciously bringing the two together also is a, is a third way. So all of these flavors, there's no good or bad or right or wrong, but we just want to understand the maps and understand the territory so as we start to explore it. And that's why we, we need to work with teachers. You come to, the, you know, this is, we're talking a little bit tonight, but there's a lot more that happens. That's why it's good to work with teachers as we continue on. So, you know, we want people who have some experience with, with the territory. Is that, I'm kind of going off here on that, but is this making sense? Right. Yeah, well, that's real important what you're bringing up. Thank you very much because uh, did you all hear that question? Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> you practice long enough. I mean, we've all been through it. You know, you sit there and the mind, you're just deep in and it's blissful and the body feels good and you're just, you're open, you're clear, you're crisp. Get up from the sitting, go do the walking practice. You come back and you sit down and it's like, where did the samadhi go? The body hurts, the mind won't settle down, you're sleepy, you're restless. Just one sit, you know, 45 minutes ago, it was what happened. It just changed, that's all. And that really is the, the most important part of the teaching. It's not about getting... I'm so glad you brought this up, thank you. Um, it's not about developing any meditative state for its own sake. And all of us, I'm making a generalization here, all of us at some point, if you continue the practice, will create some suffering around clinging to meditative states. It just happens. We've all done it. And even when people have said to me, You're gonna, it's going to happen, and I knew I still have created tremendous suffering for myself at times around this. Um, and what we have to keep in mind is, is that it, it really it, it seems like it's um, kind of a paradox or, or a dichotomy here, but it's not really. On the one hand, the Buddha did lay out a path, so it, that that's implying there's some gaining, there's some cultivation of certain qualities there. You know, I'm here and I want to get to there. So there is that place where we are practicing to get you know develop our samadhi, develop our sati, 
that is part of what we do. But at the same time, we don't want to make those objects of clinging. We don't want to make it like, oh, I don't have samadhi, I don't have sati, there's something wrong, I'm, you know, we're suffering around it. What we do is we, we sit down and we just do our part in the practice, which is we show up and however you practice, and for now, say it's with the breath, and to the best you can, you do the practice. You, you don't want to get over-striving, but you want to make right effort. So enough effort to be present without getting tense or contracted or constricted. And moment by moment, it is what it is. So we don't worry so much about, we're talking about all these states and how you can cultivate it, but then we want to let go of any gaining idea. And just our job is to show up and do the practice. And Ajahn Chah has this wonderful analogy that's great. He says, it's, that some of you have heard, he talks about if we want to grow a chili bush. And he says, you know, you plant the seed. And, you know, our job is to you plant the, you prepare the soil and you plant the seed and you water it and you, you know, you shall protect it so insects don't, as it sprouts, don't eat the leaves. And you, that's your job. How fast it or slow it grows or how it grows or the shape of the leaves and everything, how, that's not up to us. It knows how to open in its own. We just do our part. And then he says the reason we create suffering is, is that we sit down to meditate and we want it to you know, grow, flower, and produce chilies all in one day. And of course it doesn't do it. And we all know that the meditation practice, um, it's, not, it's hard. We should just say it's not easy. Sorry, I didn't mean to pause to, to actually. <laughs> I was just, it was kind of just an enjoyable. <laughs> kind of has a nice tune. I wasn't trying to focus, make you self conscious there. <laughs> so, anyway, sorry. <laughs> so, that, anyway, it's important when we sit down. Our job is sitting by sitting, you sit down and you get what you get. What are we going to do with you get what we get what you get? Right. That's the best I know to answer. And we do the best we can sitting by sitting. Our job is just to show up and do the practice. Our job is not to try and have any particular experience. And it knows how to unfold. It took me a long time in my practice, many years, to really... I don't even know if I still perfectly have it, but I, certainly it took me a long time to get to a point of where... Wow, it really does know how to unfold in its time. And we've got to kind of, we just create more suffering if we, if we are caught in our judgments and opinions. Yeah. That's another place for the mindfulness, right? If we sit down and, you know, we're having what we call a, I mean, we all, what's a, you know, we often ask the rhetorical question. It's, it's, and it usually gets a laugh, but you know, we say, "Well, what's a good sit?" And, we, and then people think, and people laugh because, like, well, we know what we're getting to here. It's a good sit is, it's basically pleasant. In some way, you know, the mind settled the body. We say, "Well, what's a bad sit?" It's unpleasant somehow. 
without mindfulness, we'll just be caught in the reaction right there. We'll be bringing that suffering right into the meditation practice that's designed to take us towards less suffering. That's the whole purpose. To more, deeper state of well-being. So let's not bring the best we can. Look, we're going to suffer sometimes around it. But to the best we can, even using the practice as, as, as a right there as a place of letting go and not clinging. That's real important. That's more fundamental than cultivating the samadhi and the sati. Because it's all in the service of a mind that can be at peace. Well, let me mention a couple of more things here. Um, so we've been talking about using the breath as a um, mindfulness anchor during meditation practice. The breath can be used as a mindfulness anchor during any activities. And it's another place that you can start bringing the breath in. It's not the only way to do it. So, for example, um, I used to, uh, I remember a job I had a few years ago and when I would, it was a place with a lot of cubicles and when I'd walk, I was walking back and forth between cubicles a lot and I would just put my awareness in my feet and feel my feet walking, you know. And it was really great because nobody knows that you're meditating, right? So you don't look funny or anything and you're just walking around, but it's, it was an anchor there. So there's lots of things like that we can do. Um, the breath is just another tool that you could experiment with and that also can be used as an anchor. Right? Just connecting with your breathing. You know, in any activity. Right? Just, and that's, that could be very powerful mindfulness anchor. And what people can often find is not only the mindfulness of the breath, but as the mindfulness strengthens, it radiates out into it to encompass everything else too. And then at some point, the anchor can, can fall away if it needs to. So just to keep that in mind, that um, you know, it's, it, it, it can be applied whenever we want to. We're always breathing. So it's just great. And what happens is, as the mind gets conditioned or trained about the breath, it becomes more and more natural carrying it around in daily life. People, many people, not everyone, but certainly many people who want to practice mindfulness in daily life, and oftentimes without a formal meditation, formal sitting practice, finds that it's, many people find it's just hard to do. It's really a, a, a noble thing to, to take on, but just to acknowledge, because unless, if we haven't developed some concentration and strengthened the mindfulness to carry into daily life, it tends to dissipate because you know, it doesn't take much to just pull our awareness in, as we all know. You know, we say, okay, I'm going to be mindful and, you know, few seconds later you're gone that's not true for everyone there are people who naturally can do that I'm not able to do that and what I found for myself is over the years is um, that through the sitting practice when that was really strengthened it tended to carry out then into the rest of the life very well naturally without even trying to remember to be mindful you just that level of awake presence but naturally carried more and in the times when maybe the practice was going through a period of time where it had fallen away and it wasn't very regular or whatever I would tend to be more on lost or on automatic pilot more and then over the years that, that has, I found that it's shifted now and it's not like it's perfect but that it just 
it's not so dependent anymore and it just tends to carry more. So, which is what you would expect, right, if you develop something. So, um, you know, it's, I, I guess this is getting into the last piece I wanted to say tonight in that um, I know for some of us probably do maintain some sort of a daily meditation practice, whatever that looks like. And daily doesn't mean that we never miss, although we don't go through periods of days where we don't. But in general in life, we tend to have a daily practice, whatever that means. Even if we sit down for five minutes or longer or more than once a day, or whatever our, our lives allow. And, I, and it's for many of us... Um, it's, I mean, let's just face it. It's really hard to keep up a daily practice in life for many people. Not everyone, but for many. Probably most. It's hard. You know, maybe we have jobs or relationships or whatever we're doing in life. And, and you know, I always tell the story that some of you have heard, but it's such a good teaching story that in some of the work I do in a couple of the state prisons... And I've told this story that one of the prisons I I go into is down at Salinas Valley State Prison. It's a level four prison. It's one of the like hardest core. It's like Pelican Bay. Same thing. Matter of fact, they send people from Pelican Bay down here. That's true. So um, there's so much violence that they often have these lockdowns where everybody's just, you're just in your cell and you don't get out. So when we were on a weekly program, so there was somebody had gotten stabbed or something, I don't remember. there was a lockdown that lasted for two months. What that meant was for those two months, they never got out of their cells. They were fed in their cells. I mean, they have TVs and things in there, but something to do. But it, they just couldn't get out, except one by one, they would take them twice a week over to the shower individually to go get showered and they come back. So they're basically in their cell for two months. So at the end of the two months, they're back out. We're running our weekly program again. And the, you know, we came in. Of course, we had to do a lot of processing because people were, you know, it was hard for a lot of people. And I, I said, well, how is your meditation practice going? And one guy said, you know, I just couldn't find the time to, to <laughs> meditate. <laughs> and I tell that story all, I mean, what has he got to do in there? You know, but he's playing cards with his cellmate. He's watching TV. I don't know what he's doing. But that was so great. And that, I thought that was just I tell that story over and over because it says something about this human nature. That even in that situation, and I happen to know that there were also people who were sitting then several hours a day also. But it goes to show that it's like the mind, it's hard. You know, even in those kind of situations, things pull the mind. So it can help us just to know that, oh yeah, the mind just doesn't want to sit and do it rather than be hard on ourselves or despair, I'll never be able to do it, I've been trying to do this for 10 years, I can't keep a practice going, just to know that, you know what, it is hard. It's like that for all of us. So we don't be so hard on ourselves and also then maybe to take a look at what pulls us away and just to see where, where the important place of it is in our lives. There's no right or wrong, and we'll just see. For some people, you come once a week to a group, and you meditate, and it works great, and that's what you want. And other people maybe want to see what happens more on a daily practice. And, and, and so just to look, that's another place to bring the mindfulness. I'm kind of doing a little sales pitch for it because I've, I think if, 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 you do, if you are drawn to practice more, 
that I think there's a lot of benefits and fruits that can come. It's not the only way. Meditation, formal sitting meditation, is not the only aspect of Dharma practice. There's many qualities of developing paramis and you know generosity and patience and all and loving hearts and all of this kindness. But it has a benefit if you're drawn towards it. And so I just want to kind of say that give a little nudge for those of you who do feel like you, 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 you're interested to go further. That's a place where you can start to see what happens when both the samadhi and the sati, the concentration and the mindfulness, can strengthen together. So. Well, um, so that's all for tonight. And for those of you who will be next week, we'll try to bring this all together into take aspects of last week and here and it'll come in and we'll see how, how they become um, integrated, which is really the place that I have found very quite interesting. In my, for, for me, it's been very useful. Well, um, then why don't we... We're going to end with some metta, loving-kindness practice, but actually I just want to ask, we don't have much time left, but if there's just maybe one or two quick things, if, if, if I don't want there to be any confusion or if there's questions or anything, just to kind of close up, wrap up. No, no. Um, we won't be doing that in this class. Um, and just to mention what that is, so there's this Satipatthana is the Pali, it's the four foundations of mindfulness, and it's arguably, it's definitely one of the most, if not the most important sutta in the whole Pali canon, some people would say. And it's these four foundations of, it's of the mindfulness practice, and it's the basis for Vipassana practice. That and the Anapanasati, Mindfulness of Breathing Sutta, which is more what I'm focusing on here. So one of those four foundations is to bring mindfulness to the body. And the breath is part of that. So we're taking one little sub-piece of, the, of that first foundation, the breath. And just to say, there's many other things that's talked about there, how to work with just general body sensations, and there's a whole lot in there around the body. Second foundation is around what they call feeling, which does not mean emotions in this case. It means the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral quality to any experience. That's the second foundation. I'm just mentioning it in case you're wondering what this is. Some of you might not know. And you can work mindfully to, to just to, to come to the actual pleasantness or unpleasantness of an experience. The third foundation is more what we typically think of as emotions. You know, working with that with mindfulness. You know, if anger, sadness, fear, joy, all these things come up. <coughs> And then the fourth foundation is um, what's called dharmas or dhammas. It's just working with, uh, it's more the deeper insights that come uh, around the Four Noble Truths. And anyway, there's a lot of things there. It's hindrances and a lot of other things. So it's a, it's a, it covers the whole range of experience that we open up to in mindfulness practice. Uh, that's what the four, the four foundations are. And, that, and those classes get offered here periodically. I don't know if there's one scheduled or not, but, uh, oh, Tuesday? Was that announced? Did you <coughs> announce that today? Okay, so is that one actually got announced. And it's on the four foundations of mindfulness? Yeah. Okay. Anyway.
Yeah, we're just fa- focusing on uh, breath meditation. And next Thursday will be the same, just breath meditation. Okay. All right. Well, let's just end then. Um, so please get comfortable. Whatever that looks like for you. As comfortable as your body will allow. You know, sometimes our bodies don't let us get comfortable. And we need to bring some kindness for that. You know? But to the most we can. And then um, just settling into your, whatever your experience is. Connecting into the body. Bringing that mindfulness into the whole range of experience. Um, could be thoughts, emotions, body sensations. Maybe nothing strong. And it's just a general sense of, of just being here in the body. And without having to do anything or change anything, you know, can we just meet the experience right now in this moment with a quiet mind, an open heart, a sense of acceptance and allowance rather than an adversarial relationship with our, with our bodies, with our being that we so often have, but a really a sense of, of just welcoming and opening to ourselves and holding ourselves with great acceptance and kindness. And of course, if we're not able to do that for some aspect of our experience, then we need to bring kindness to that. And then it's out of that place that we can start to actively send metta to ourselves. That felt sense or if it's a wish or a prayer or a thought, maybe using some of the classical phrases, simple, uh, wishing, may I be happy? May I be peaceful? May I be at ease? Just wishing, just good, good wishes for yourself. And then, either staying with yourself, you know, you could you could make metta for yourself your entire meditation practice. It would be very, very powerful. You did nothing but that. So you can stay with yourself or allow your awareness to now expand out to include everywhere, everyone here in this meditation hall together. And sending that same wish kindness towards everyone. May everyone here be at ease and be happy and peaceful. May everyone here be free from suffering.
And then if you would like, allowing your awareness to radiate out so it goes out into the community and beyond the whole Bay Area, just through the whole world and even beyond. In all directions. And with that same wish that just as I wish to be happy and peaceful, in that same way may all beings be happy and peaceful. Just as I wish to be free from suffering, may all beings everywhere be free. And then finally, I invite you to reflect that we, when we practice, it's for our benefit, but not for our benefit alone. And that we can also practice with, with that um, caring heart so that our practice is for the benefit, the liberation, the, the deep, profound welfare of all beings. And so we can have a sense of gathering up, collecting any, any goodness or, or we could say any merit that's come from our time together our time to coming together in sincerity and with such a wholesome intention. You know, we could have done anything this evening and here we are, we came together to spend time to explore this profound question of, you know, how can we deepen ourselves in love and compassion and in wisdom? So, you know, we gather up any goodness merit that's been obtained or generated through this time together and then we offer it freely so that um, it may be for the benefit, the welfare, and the liberation of all beings everywhere. Good night.